Hi everyone, this is Peyton. I just wanted to let you know before the episode starts that uh, we are new at this and we do have a slight technical difficulty. There's a little bit of like background static or something. Um, I did my best to eliminate it as much as I could. Just know that in the future we'll you know have learned and take care of that uh, and it shouldn't be a problem. Uh, so just bear with us and uh, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the show. Hi, my name's Peyton Brock, and I'm a trans woman who likes making fart jokes and talking about movies and TV. I have a degree in writing from an art school and am exactly the type of person middle-aged conservatives uh, would probably hate. My friend Austin is a man with experience in the auto industry and now works as a chef. He's what uh, conservatives would probably consider a self-made, practical working-class man. Uh, except that he's also an anti-establishment punk. So with that being said, welcome to this new show called Explaining to Austin, a show, a podcast, in fact, where I will explain to Austin a piece of media that he has not seen yet. And who knows, after I explain the media to him, maybe he'll watch it, maybe he'll feel satisfied from what I've explained to him. It's really about the journey, though. It's about explaining the thing and the fun we have along the way. With that being said, uh, welcome to the show, Austin, my co-host's inaugural episode. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm doing great. I uh, got off work like an hour ago, and um, man, I'm ready to do it. I just ate some pasta. It's a nice, it's a nice, relaxing, calm Saturday evening. I'll say. You having anything to drink right now? Oh, I do have a... Um... Um, some liquid bread in a can. Very nice. I have a, some sort of hard seltzer of sort of the black cherry flavor variety. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Because as you know, I'm a, I'm a glutton for a nice soda. And what is hard seltzer if not alcohol soda? I, I've always said that. As you know. Uh, Austin, this is, as I said, the first episode of this podcast. And as I mentioned to you before the show, and I will now mention to the viewer... Uh, I'm in a one-room studio apartment at the moment, and the choice was between either recording in an extremely echoey bathroom or recording in the main room I'm in right now, which unfortunately is next to a busy intersection uh, down on the street. So hopefully multiple fire trucks and loud cars won't drive by while we're recording, but if they do, uh, no, that might happen. So I apologize for that. Uh, Like 40 minutes ago, I think I heard a gunshot. It was either that or a firework, but uh, either way, I'm in like a, you know, like a fairly urban area, so it's probably not good either way. <laughs> right, either way. You don't really want to be setting off fireworks in a, in in a, a populated metropolis. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, yeah. but, uh, you know, I, I should be fine. Come and listen to a story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food, and up through the ground come a bubbling crude. Oh, and that is... Black gold, Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. The kinfolk said, Jed, move away from there. Said, California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly. 
Hills, that is. Swimming pools, movie stars. The Beverly Hillbilly. With this show, as I mentioned, it's going to be me explaining things, specifically mostly movies and TV shows, to you that you haven't seen, and I will do my best to explain what happens in them and my thoughts on them and get your response to my description as well. Uh, And I think what's going to make it good is passion about the things I'm describing, about the media, the art I'm describing to you. And I think... There will be passion in this episode, because what is, what is hate if not a form of passion? And I can tell you, Austin, that I hate the thing that I watched last night that I will be describing to you. That bad, huh? Yes, it is the 2020 film from director Ron Howard, Hillbilly Elegy, based on the memoir of the same name by J.D. Vance. Now, Austin, as is the format of the show, you have not seen this film, but let me ask, do you know anything about this film? If so, what? Um, okay, so all I know is snippets from uh, uh, brief insights that you provided me with over text, um, and that was that it came out in 2020, it was on Netflix, which... I wasn't sure if you meant it was released directly to Netflix, as I kind of assumed, because it was 2020. Um, and that it was potentially filled with some uh, classism. And that's all I really know. Um, okay. So that's that. going into this, I'm very blind. I didn't look up a single dang thing about it, I'll tell you what. Okay. Uh, all the things you said, uh, I would attest to being true. Um, in terms of the release... I would say that um, I think it was originally intended for a theatrical release, but being 2020, I believe Netflix then um, decided to just, um, you know, publish it via Netflix. I'm not sure if it was sort of an Irishman situation where originally it was going to have kind of a dual release, Um, but either way, you know, it's pretty much just primarily released through Netflix Netflix, uh, this past November of 2020. Okay. So uh, I know going into this, I asked you to kind of write some speculative thoughts of maybe what you thought this film would be about or some questions that you wanted answered by my explanation of the film. Would you like to share those? Sure. So, um, you know, so I, I first thought my first question is, uh, what's an elegy? I've never heard that word before. It's a great question, Austin. Are you familiar with a eulogy? Right, you know, it's a, like a, a song or a, a speech given at, uh, usually around someone's death. That is, that is accurate. Uh, as far as I can tell, an elegy is kind of just a... Um, it's very similar to a eulogy as I understand it, and obviously this could be totally wrong. It could be a big dum-dum, idiot, stupid, <laughs> dumb baby. But hey, you know, it happens. It happens, and as far as I understand, they're very similar. I think an elegy specifically is kind of a poem or like a, an epic song, you know, t- 
type poem. So it, it harkens back to, to the Greeks, I believe. It also has to do with death, though, or at least okay. it's commonly associated. So it's very much the retelling of a tragic event, as I understand gotcha. it. Gotcha. Okay, so a eulogy would be like I think a, eulogy a speech might... in like memorance of someone's death, and an elegy might be like the story of their life told around their death. Somewhat, yeah. I think okay. a eulogy has more of a positive connotation, and an elegy is more of like a tragic, like a, a sorrowful. I gotcha. Uh, okay. Poem or speech, what have you. So to clear that up, I hope that's been cleared up. And that you are you are familiar up. with the term hillbilly, are you not? Well, as a as a native of South Carolina, my whole life, I uh, yes. Would you Would you consider yourself a hillbilly? I don't know if I'd consider myself a hillbilly. Um. I definitely a southerner, That's uh, true. That is but um, I feel like certain terms like hillbilly and redneck are actually reserved for different uh, groups, like social groups of yeah. people. I I would not and necessarily it, it, classify you as a as a hillbilly. I would say you're a southerner. I would say that with your past as well as what you're doing right now, you're very much of the working class. Uh, I would say both of us having grown up in South Carolina near the Blue Ridge Mountains, which that is technically a part of Appalachia, is it not? Yeah, yeah I believe it is. So we are, I'd say we are, we are on the border of Appalachia. And in that regard, we are familiar with people maybe who could be called hillbillies or Absolutely. Redneck. Definitely uh, went to high school with plenty of them. Uh, still friends with, with people that you could consider a hillbilly, you know, nothing wrong with that term either. It's not like a, I feel like it has negative connotations sometimes, but like. It doesn't have to necessarily be negative right, unless it, you make it or say it in a way, um, I would, I would say. Yeah, so, you can um, use it derogat derogatorily, but like it's uh, not always that way. Yes, agreed. Um, so what, what else you got for me? Um, okay. So, uh, you know, speaking of the Southern working class, uh, does it treat the Southern working class as less intelligent than uh, white collar workers or people in other parts of the country. Because I feel like sometimes uh, media produced by people that aren't from the South or uh, aren't as familiar with it, no matter how well-intentioned, can still play into some uh, old school harmful stereotypes of the people of the South. Uh very, very true, Austin. I, as I would say with this movie, I would say that it's not made for someone who would describe themselves as a hillbilly or as uh, Appalachian. I would say this is not for them. I don't think no. they're going to get any enjoyment out of it. If, <laughs> oh, that, no. if, that, if that speaks to answering your question. That, that speaks to answer the question and honestly gives me a pretty grim outlook of yeah. what, we're, what we're talking about here. Yes. Um, yeah. It's it's not it's not great on that front. Uh, a lot of this movie deals with uh, it, a lot of this movie boils down to these people are crazy. Oh no! <laughs> so we'll get into that briefly when I begin the summary. What else you got? Um, do you want me to just like list all my questions and then we can like go through them? Sure. Um, so uh, I want to know at any point in the movie is there a eulogy for a hillbilly? Because I just, you know, hillbilly eulogy. I didn't know what an elegy meant, so I just assumed that maybe there was a eulogy. Uh, um, yes, I would say there is. Uh, there is a funeral scene that does take place in an Appalachian setting. I don't remember wonderful. if there's specifically, like, a, a reading 
I know there's a part where someone reads like a Bible as someone dies. So uh, I, I'd say I'd say there there's certainly adjacent things, if not exactly an elegy. Sure. Um, uh, so we already said what is an elegy. We covered that one. Yes. Uh, who's in it? You know, I, are there big names? Obviously, Ron Howard directed it. That's a, you know, that's a that's a big name. Uh, but who is acting in it? Anyone? Anyone big? Great question. In terms of uh, in terms of you know recognizable name actors, uh, the two that are the standout ones who both I believe are nominated for Golden Globes for their performances somehow, we'll get into that. <laughs> are Amy Adams? Oh wow, love her. Yeah, who is normally in film very good, plenty of amazing performances. Arrival, in her past. one of my favorite movies. Arrival. Um, what is the one? I'm blanking on it now. And it's by Tom Ford, and I don't know the name of it now. Man, well, Tom Ford isn't even a familiar name to me, so... I'm, I'm, He's a fashion designer who's also made some Oh, movies. that Tom Ford. Yeah, yeah he makes yeah, movies, yeah. too, sometimes. Oh, I didn't know that. He, there's one with Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal, and... Uh, oh! I, I can't remember <laughs> I have no idea, but I recognize, yeah, that combo. She's really I'm, good I'm in that movie, but I yeah. can't remember the name. And it's pl- plenty of other stuff as well. And then the other main name in this film is uh, Glenn Close. You familiar oh. with Glenn Close, Austin? Of course. She played Nova Prime in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. Glenn Close, as I like <laughs> to put it, has been playing... Uh, as I like to put it, um, Glenn Close has been playing elderly women for the entirety of her career. <laughs> That's very fair. I feel like every role I've ever seen her in, she's been an old lady. I don't know if I've ever seen even a picture of her looking younger than 50. Well, she was actually born at 50. Oh, it was like, is it a Benjamin Buttons thing? Yeah, except she's just going to stay there. She was just born and stays at the age of of, of like 60. Right. I mean, I'll, I'll give her this for, for, you know, for a woman who I have perceived as being older for all of her life. She's still, she's very attractive uh she's very good looking and in most of the things i've seen her in she's been very good uh performance wise i can't like i don't have any like distinctly bad performances that come to mind with her and go and going into my my description of this film i would say that i think it's less their fault maybe for the performances and more on (laughs) the director uh ron howard and are you familiar with ron howard austin i'm familiar with him he was in uh wasn't he the, the narrator in Arrested Development? He was the narrator in Arrested Development. Right, and he's which, also directed some other things. He's directed things like um, uh, Cocoon, about the old people who go and talk to aliens. Uh, he Apollo 13. Oh, okay, course, okay. Uh, A Beautiful Mind. Uh, okay, wow. re- More recently, Rush, uh, the movie about the race car drivers with uh, Chris Hemsworth. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Obviously, his most one of his most recent, if not the most recent, he obviously took over late in the process of directing Solo, a Star Wars. Oh story. yeah, he totally did. I enjoyed Solo. I thought personally. it was fine. I thought it was a fun time. Didn't need to be taken too seriously, you know. I mean, it it, it was it was. I mean, you know, if. The, you know, regardless, I feel like the fact that they felt the need to make a Han Solo origin story was superfluous, but I felt like it was about, yeah. as, about as decent as that should be or could be. Um, yeah. But yes, Ron Howard, of course, also an actor, grew up uh, Andy Griffith's show. Yes, The Young of Boy. Yeah, uh, yeah. What is uh, Happy Days? Um, of course, the Arrested Development narrator position, iconic. 
Uh, Absolutely. Which iconic. definitely was in my mind throughout this film, wishing that there was kind of narration, because the way this family plays is almost like a, uh, a uh, you know, an inverse of the Bluths, where instead of rich, they're poor, but they're, it's, it's kind of the same ridiculous circumstances except played completely straight and supposed to be realistic. Gotcha, okay. Unfortunately. Well, that's a damn shame. Any any more questions, Austin? Um, so we got who's in it. Uh, you said it was nominated for some Golden Globes, right? Yes. I believe it for the act for both Amy Adams and Glenn Close. Okay, and then how is this film received critically? Uh, mostly panned critically. Obviously, a couple... Um, a couple publications, I believe, liked it decently. But for the most part, negative reviews, a lot of pushback. Um, The book, which was published in 2016, already had a lot of uh, pushback by the time the movie was being made and came Mm. out. So there was an inherent distrust going into this. Sure. And that was a burp, by the way. Nice. I'm I'm just not going to stifle him. I'm just going to... Shoot them out. The rest you know, of I think going forward with this show, we should just be our true selves and just Talk let those burps fly. Burps, farts. The cars in the background. Yeah, did you just hear that? I, I did, I sure did. <laughs> it's yeah. almost like a little race car, okay? Uh, I mean, for all I care, you go pee during this. Just take the mic with you. That's what I'm saying, you know. I'm, uh, what was I uh, talking about? Um, <laughs> oh, critical burping. response. Yeah, oh. so uh, it was mostly panned. Mostly got a lot of pushback for its uh, flaws I will go into uh, with the classism and whatnot, the tone deafness, if you will. Um, but that all being said, I'm sure this film uh, is a big hit with the uh, the parent crowd. Uh, can I make an assumption about this film? Yes, please. Um, so do you remember the, what was it, 2016-2017 Will Smith Netflix movie Bright? With the, the orcs, and right. where the orcs are black people. Right, and so I never saw it because I didn't have any interest to. But from what sure. I understand, that movie tried to approach racism and like systemic racism in a way that actually was just racist. Yes, to many degrees, yes. So Either outright racist my... or horribly misguided, yes. Sure. So like good-intentioned, but really just, they just kind of fucked it a little bit. Not good. Um, One could say, not good. Not good. Could you say that maybe this movie is victim to the same thing, where maybe it was, it was trying to do something noble and actually just ended up making a joke out of the people it was trying to tell stories about? Good point, Austin. I would say... Again, having not seen this movie, or I don't even know the plot yet. Yes. I would say, I think Ron Howard went into it with good intentions. From, from what I've read... And what I know about his past films, I don't think he, he's a particularly, at least intentionally, classist person or, you know, conservative person. Nor do I think the actors are as well with Glenn Close and Amy Adams sure. saying their past work. Uh, right. I think the problem lies with the book and its author and translating that. The, the, the original sin, if you will, is the book itself. Because the book almost, the, the movie is toned down. I would say I haven't read the book from, but from what I've read in reviews and articles, this is almost the book being held back a little bit. Oh man! So imagine even worse uh, in the book. Was so, the book written by a southerner? 
Well, the book is written. It's a memoir, so the main character okay. I will get into in in this review in this retelling is the man who wrote the book. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um. So yes. Uh. Any any further? So those are all the questions I had written. Besides, what is this movie about? Because I figure we'll get into that as it goes on, right? Yes, uh, we can get into that now if you would like. Wonderful. Uh, do we have transition music into this part of the show? I don't know. Do we? I don't know. We should at well, some point. Well, well, if we do, if 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 I should or if I do, I guess I'll have cut or maybe I'm cutting now and that music's playing right now yeah, and then knows? then it's fading back in and we're talking as they do like when a late night show and they fade back in and they're having a conversation and then and the, then the host natural. turns and goes ah oh, welcome back to explain to austin the show where i explain the plots of a, of a film in this case of today's episode to austin uh we will now get in i believe we've said everything and set up it's been 20 minutes so might as well get into it i'll say uh get into this Uh, I'm going to go ahead and get into the plot description. Uh, hopefully it won't get picked up too much on the mic, but if you hear pages rustling, as, as I'm doing right now, can you hear that? Oh, I hear it. That's because I am uh, flipping through my uh, four pages of notes, four full pages of notes. <laughs> I wrote Are these handwritten? This movie. Yeah, they're handwritten. Boy, uh, howdy. So, you know, let it be said, uh, in going into this podcast into this inaugural episode, I put in the work. I put in the hours. I sat last night and watched all, you know, hour and 45 minutes while taking notes of this movie. You know, I, I'm doing the work. You know, Peyton, I've always known you as someone who, who puts in the work. I put in the work. You know, there's nothing, it's something I've always said, and it's Peyton puts in the work. Of things I put, I, I put in a lot of things, and work is one of them. Oh, you put in a lot of things, and work is absolutely at the top of that list. Our friends like to say, I put in, and you put out. I've always heard that. They say it all the time. You know they what I mean. They say it to me constantly. If you know what I mean. You know what I mean? They know what I oh, mean. Oh, yeah. They know, yeah. A oh, yeah. Of, a little bit of that. A little, little bit of that. Woo-hoo. You hear that? Yeah. A little bit of... Yeah. A little all bit right. of peek, peek in the mic. Peek the mic. <laughs> Here we go, Austin. Hillbilly right, Elegy. Go. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Over black, I believe it was like, you know, the intro text and stuff, black uh, credits. We sure. hear like a uh, evangelical radio thing. Sure. And our opening shot of this movie, getting us off to a great start, is uh, an elderly woman with very little, if any, teeth, just blankly dead-eyed staring at a radio playing this evangelical sermon. Of course. Just, just real great categorization right off of the bat. Right, just like people. really, they're laying it out. They're like, "This is who this is about." Yes, uh, we are. This is what we think of these people. <laughs> we are introduced to this uh, kid riding his bike, and he's doing a uh, he's doing a monologue, uh, or his his older self, which we'll get into, is doing a narration, if you will, um, saying how uh, his, you know, he tells people he's from Ohio, but where he really feels at home is the mountains of Kentucky. Because, and the, we're seeing this as him as a kid riding his bike through these mountain roads, passing you know shirtless men working on pickup trucks, 
hillbilly esque shacks, if you will. Sure. Uh, he says all of this uh, upon getting to. He says he spends his summers here in Kentucky and in, in Appalachia. Uh, he arrives to a pond where uh, the first character, other than him, we hear is a uh, a scrawny boy on an ATV who, upon our main character finding an injured turtle, uh, the kid wants to um, brutally murder the turtle by ripping its shell off. Oh. Uh, and our main guy says no. Which, well, good. I mean, good, but like, you know, first first speaking of a, of a so-called hillbilly character and they're wanting to brutally murder an animal that's hmm. suffering. Um, so our yeah, main... really, really kind of setting up some uh, some powerful assumptions about these people. Absolutely, our main character goes for a dip in this pond. Uh, we see, you know, back at the homestead, the large extended family. But it seems as if some of them are preparing to leave. Uh, meanwhile, in this pond, this kid, our main guy, this main kid, is suddenly forced underwater and is roughhoused and drowned by three other boys who shout to him, Go back to Ohio, boy! Some of that good oh, old... I've heard that, I've heard that chant all the time. Some of that good old Ohio v. Kentucky rivalry. Yeah, you know, growing up in the South, I heard all kinds of South versus Midwest rivalries. Well, but <laughs> you do have to remember that uh, I believe Ohio and Kentucky are only about... They're not far apart. No, I mean, no. I'll do it. But yeah, you know, I don't, I don't believe they are. Good old anti anti Ohio sentiment. Uh, so you know, these kids push him underwater. He runs on. He gets out, runs to the shore, and then he you know tries to fight back, fight these kids. Uh, our main kid gets his ass absolutely wrecked, absolutely kicked. Uh, he's on the ground crying. Uh, as we'll learn, our main character is an an awful little little little. Little, little pussy. Uh, mm-hmm. And then his adult family members show up and they, they, they kick all these boys that beat him up ass. Uh, these adult men come and beat up this kid's bullies for him. Oh, that's neat. Because they're like, he's our family member, I guess. Um, um, just I just looked it up and um, yes, uh, Kentucky and Ohio border each other. Okay, okay, great. You could get from uh, Columbus to Louisville in three and a half hours, apparently. Okay. Well, um, yeah, so basically we have this opening scene with this kid getting his ass kicked. But, Austin, they then leave Kentucky. This kid, his mother, his sister, and his two grandparents were visiting, I guess, for a, a sort of family reunion. Sure. Uh, they, have fam- they are from this you know, Appalachian family, but they now live in kind of the Rust Belt a Rust Belt town of Ohio. And Austin, uh, that is the last we are in. Well, there's one more short scene that takes place in Kentucky. But besides that, that is the last scene that takes place in Appalachia in this film. So let me just make something, uh, make, make sure I'm hearing you right. This movie's called Hillbilly Elegy, right? That is correct. And it takes place in the Midwest? It takes place... It is. The title should more be Rust Belt Lower Class Elegy. Right, okay. So, um, I don't love the equation, the equating of um, the South to um, 
like like the working class to only the being the south that's that's fair like that that that's like like obviously i'm a i'm a proud member of the working class but like to just be like oh yeah only the south is like the working class yeah because well, that's kind of what it feels like it's implying by calling it hillbilly elegy when it doesn't take place well and you know they're they're definitely they have connections it, the, sure. it goes the story goes that his grandmother and grandfather moved out of Kentucky out of Appalachia to go work you know the grandfather to go work on the steel mill in this town in Ohio gotcha. so you know they're they're related to them but really it's not about Appalachia though it's about a kid who is three gener or I guess he is the third generation removed from Appalachia gotcha so he doesn't really have any deep personal ties to it not particularly no like like because he has like family ties to it but himself no besides like doesn't... besides these summers he spent in Kentucky apparently which were only right. shown about 5 minutes of <laughs> yeah That's so that, it. That, that doesn't paint a real clear picture of like how this could like be that meaningful of like like you're not setting up much i feel like absolutely not okay so we jump to the future and just so you know, this whole film is going to be cutting back and forth in time from uh, around 2013-ish uh, with our main character in law school uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a mid-20-year-old man back in time to when he was an adolescent. So from this thing in Kentucky, them getting back to their town in Ohio, we jump forward 14 years to Yale Law School. Uh, our main character, who we learn, uh, we've learned now, his name is JD. Uh, we're never told what that stands for, as far as I recall. <laughs> so I think I think it's short for John Don. Sure. Uh, 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 his, JD Vance. Vance is the last name. That's a good last name. I'll be honest. It's it's fine last name. Yeah, I think uh, it's a cool one. So he's it's not in, that common. He is in Yale Law School. Uh, we good for see him. we see him cleaning dishes at a job. Later, he tells an advisor he's working three jobs and even with that he cannot afford uh you know the tuition you know even with the jobs and the scholarships he has he's so because of that he's trying to get an internship at a law firm uh to get more money um for his tuition right okay and he's very nervous about this dinner party he has to go to that evening uh where you know it's kind of a meet and greet with these uh, heads of these different law firms. He's specifically trying to get into a law firm in D.C. because that's where his girlfriend has a has a has an internship, and they want to be in D.C. together for I guess the summer. Uh, okay. While at this dinner party, uh, well, first off, the, uh, he's at this dinner party, and he gets a call from his sister that his mother has his mother is Amy Adams and the grandmother is Guncloth. Uh his mother, Amy Adams, has uh overdosed on heroin. Not dead, but in the hospital at, sure. after an overdose. Right. Uh he seems a little stunned by this, but he puts up the phone and goes back to the dinner. Uh and they very much play up that he does not know it's a very like kind of, you know, standard like business formal uh, there we go that's a nice one yeah there it was it's a very much like a formal business kind of dinner so right. you know, the multiple forks and stuff but he he's like 
it is like played up like uh, like you know he's on an alien planet. He's having he's freaking out about these forks, not knowing what to use. Which like oh man, he's grown up in a lower class Ohio family, sure. But like I don't know. I feel like you would at least intuit maybe which one to use. I I don't know. I don't think anyone would be this freaked out about it. I don't know. I think what's you, that? You, you know um, what's the, the episode of a regular show where Muscle Man has to take. Um, Starla's parents to a fancy dinner mm-hmm. and they like try to make him a gentleman and he's freaking oh, out the whole yes. time. No, but like it's it's played like that where it's like this absolutely alien concept of like fanciness oh, to him where I feel like if he's really as competent and in Yale Law School as it makes him throughout the movie, you just roll with the punches and, and be chill about it. But he's flipping out. Uh, while talking to these people at dinner, he calls, um, he says he... He uh, served in Iraq before, as a Marine in Iraq, before uh, going into Ohio State and then on to Yale. But specifically, he calls serving in Iraq, quote, a great experience, Mm. which will, trust me, I have a whole section about this character who, of course, was the actual man who authored the book. Uh, It's based on him. I'll get into personal details on him after I get through all the story. Ooh, you did some digging. We'll come back on him. So he says that, uh, you know, to kind of break the ice, he mentions how his grandfather's side of the family, who we saw in Appalachia, are tangentially related to either the Hatfield or McCoys. I don't remember which. This ends sure. up in, you know, kind of the snobby, rich, you know, lawyer guy assholes making fun of his family, which, of course, he gets upset at and, you know, shoots back at him, which, you know, is fair. But, like, the rest of the movie, we're going to see him doing the opposite of, like, wanting to distance himself and, like, get the fuck out of, of Ohio. Uh, so, you know, he defends him <laughs> here, but, like, it's not supported by the actual, like, text and themes of the film. So um, is did he, like, did that, like, change him? Like, um, like, getting made fun of by these lawyers, like, changed his own perception of his family? No. Or is it just bad writing? It's just bad writing. Gotcha. Well, because, like... It, the movie wants us to think that he's like a good person, but we what 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 he does in this film is very much on the contrary, mm. uh, and it's unintentional. Clearly, right. it wants him to be a good person, but he's not. Um, he gets another call. His sister obviously wants him to come back to Ohio to help with his mother and her because she's you know overworked with kids and a husband and a right. job. You know she wants him to come back, so he does. He makes he starts his journey back. Cut back in time, we're shown a look into his life, his sister's life, his mother's life. Um, their their kind of familial situation when he's like a, he's he's like thirteen or fourteen. Uh, another instance of him being an absolute loser is he gets mad at his mother for blocking the TV while Al Gore is speaking at a press conference. Obviously, this being in the nineties, we've cut back oh, in time. Oh man, okay. He quote he says, "I'm watching Gore, mom." Oh. Imagine a 14-year-old <laughs> saying that. Either that's embellished, or this kid oh. is an absolute loser. Look, no, no hate to, like, Al Gore, I guess, but, like... But it's the idea that a 14-year-old oh would be that into, like, you know, like, mainstream politics. Social policy? Yeah. <laughs> I don't buy it. No. I don't buy it. Uh, the mom's boyfriend brings a dog, uh, which all the kids, him and his sister, are excited about. But, of course, the dog ends up running around, and he pees on the carpet, and the mom flips out and is like, you know, like, I'll kill that fucking dog if he ever does oh. that again. Like, it's like fucking, like, exorcist levels of, like, oh, God. getting mad. Which, like that movie, uh, Mommy Dearest or whatever? Yeah. It, yeah. It, 
and this is just the first instance of the movie categorizing the mom as an absolute like unhinged nutcase who who has like good qualities but is also like but is unfit to raise children yeah is just despicable oh man uh so the dog you know after it pees it runs around more and it ends up knocking over like a little tree with like easter eggs on it and the mom gets really upset about that too and she calls these easter eggs family heirlooms um so are they like jeweled eggs or no they're just like painted eggs are they Uh, heirlooms that's what she says Again, okay. they're like, I, the next note I have is split between trying to make the mom like cool and like, you know, caring and like, oh, she was second in her class and she could have been so much more. She didn't get stuck here, <clears throat> here with kids, uh, you know, and all that. Because, you know, then it later on she like steals, they get him, the kid accidentally knocks over a display in a store and the guy kicks him out. Uh, but the mom like steals the football cards. She, the kid was the our main JD was gonna buy and like I think that's supposed to be bad of like oh the mom like she's corrupting him she stole these cards and gave them to her son but like them stealing base or uh, football cards from a store is like objectively cool and badass I agree yeah no that's pretty lit like especially when they oh your son wants that and you're like fuck I just put it in your pocket well yeah and they get kicked out for a bullshit reason so like you know, so that's another yeah, problem. Yeah. The movie like struggles with like it constantly like makes uncool things, tries to tell you that they're or like makes cool things. You, it tries to tell you that they're bad, but it's like not. the movie was written by a cop. Mm. Like very much. <laughs> like whoever I mean, wrote this go- was just a fucking narc. Well, it goes <laughs> it, it goes back to to the book, and it it seems very much in this main kid's worldview, and JD's worldview. Um, so. Then, while in the car, JD says something about how his friend calls his mom, like, uh, ugly or something. I don't... Or, like... Oh, he he says his friend, like, men talks about how his mom, like, you know, uh, sleeps with... Like, has a lot of... Goes through a lot of relationships quickly. And that okay. pisses his mom off. And she, like, goes insane and, like, floors the car to, like, 100 miles an hour. And it's like, I'll crash this car. Huh? You want me to crash this car? I'll kill us both. And it's, like, super intense... Uh, the kid crawls into the back because he's like afraid of fucking dying in a car crash. Uh, the mom starts like beating him and he like runs out of the car, runs into this like, you know, house by the road and is like, call, I need to call my grandparents. Like they need to come get me. My mom's crazy. Uh, and this eventually results in like, I guess kind of a cop was just driving by and sees this and, uh, you know, like detains the mom and like, you know, the grandparents come with the sister as well. Um, but then like, uh, then, like, when the cop is like, you know, I can help you, son. You just got to tell me what she did to you. And then, you know, he's, like, eventually, like, no, she didn't do anything. You know, because, like, at this point, the grandparents are here. They can, like, mediate and take care of things. Uh, but the movie treats it as if, like, you know, oh, it's this bad, you know, like, family circling in and closing on each other. As if, as if you know, letting the cops, like, arrest his mom is going to, like, automatically lead to her getting the help she needs. Like, right, when like in reality, a, she's probably just going to get arrested and not rehabilitated. Yeah, but, like, it paints it as, like, you know, like, the corrupting influence of this family, uh, you know, by, by, by him not ratting on his mom. Uh, Jesus. So, what are we doing? Okay, yeah, so, flash forward back to modern day, or 2013 modern day. JD, back to the future. JD, uh, Yale student JD, gets to the hospital um, after his mom... It's like a day after the OD, the night prior. He's now at the hospital the next morning. 
Uh, and the, uh, the hospital is trying to kick the mom out, basically, or like, you know, uh, dis- discharge her because she right. doesn't have insurance and she's stable. Uh, and of course, you know, JD like goes off on the doctor and is like, she worked here for years as a nurse and you're going to kick her out, which yeah, all that's valid. But as we'll get into later, that's not seen as the, that seems that's seen as kind of a, a side problem and not the fat, not a systemic problem that's causing all of the issues to begin with. Uh, okay. The healthcare system is, is it's painted as like, you know, a, what do you, what are you going to do situation? Like, oh man. Oh, oh yeah, nothing we can do, I guess. Shit. While at the hospital, though, JD gets a call that uh, the next morning, 11 a.m., the the he did get the interview with the internship uh, people, and he has to be there, and that's the only day they can do it. So now he's torn because he has to he has to try and leave uh, that night. You know, he was planning on staying longer to help his mom, but now he has to figure out things out for his mom and try to get out of town so he can get back for this interview. Uh, so because of that, um, you know, he starts looking for like a rehab center that would take his mom, even though she doesn't have insurance. Flashback in time, grandpa dies. It's you know that's oh, the that's the only other time we see Appalachia. He dies, and they it's a brief scene where there's like a funeral. Um, the elegy, and, the, the elegy, if you will. Yes, yes. Uh, then also back in time we see his mom working at the hospital as a nurse where she begins to kind of spiral down including stealing drugs from cancer patients like stealing their pain medicine uh which she steals from a from someone like sitting there in the chemo treatment chair doing a chemo session she like slyly like doesn't give them the pills i guess they like forget and she takes the pills i'm assuming there's some sort of you know uh um you know uh, what do you call it? A um, opioid. Um, yeah, yeah, some kind of narcotic. She takes these pills, goes back into the locker room of the for the nurses, where one of the other nurses is like getting roller skates out because she says something like, "Oh, I do it for fun after work." And the mom is like, "Oh, I love these," and she like puts them on, kind of like at the behest of this other lady who's mm-hmm. kind of just like, "Oh, okay." And oh, then just we, doing get, this now, okay? we get a scene of the mother roller skating while high on opioids through the hospital. Uh, which then, of course, gets her fired. Yeah, well, I, you know, that's not that surprising. Um, but again, another scene of just trying to characterize this systemic problem of opioid abuse as, oh, his mom is stupid and irrational and takes drugs and then roller skates through the fucking hospital. I, I really, like, don't... I... I, I... I don't know how they're trying to portray her. Yes. Uh, well, they're trying to portray her as as a, uh, as a as a as lovable but flawed and needing help. But we'll get into how it does that badly even more as we go along. Uh, still back in time, still back in the '90s, we uh, cut to um, JD at his grandmother's house, and they're hanging out. JD and another one of his most uh, pissant lines gets mad at his grandmother because they have uh, Terminator 2 uh, Judgment Day on the TV and the grandmother's mm-hmm. watching that. And okay. JD is a little pissant and complains, and this is verbatim Can I put it on Meet the Press? There's a special on Monica Lewinsky. If you're watching Meet the Press at 14 years old, you deserve to get bullied. 
yeah, I, I'm not, yeah, oh man, I, I don't even know what to say to that. I'll be, I, while, can this I put is on why, the, this is while Terminator 2 Judgment Day, one of the greatest action movies by amazing director James Cameron is, is playing. One of the greatest action movies, groundbreaking special effects is playing, and this kid wants to watch Meet the Press. Are we supposed to relate to JD? Yes, but he's awful, and you can't. Like, he's, such so... a little, he's such a little shit. <laughs> I don't want to talk to him. No, and I'll get I into why even in real life he's even worse. The movie oh, tries no. to make him better. Oh, no, no. And even then, he's still a little shit. Uh, the ma- the grandma does this kind of speech about how there are three people in the world, three types of people: good terminators, bad terminators, a la Terminator Two Judgment Day, and neutral. And he's like, she's like, uh, you know, I'm the kid's like, oh, you're a good terminator, grandma. And she's like, well, you can be one too one day. And and you know, he's like, what's mom? And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, is she a bad terminator? And grandma's like, I don't know. Sometimes she can be. And you know, this whole thing. Eh. <laughs> Uh, I don't really recall. It's not ever clear. It's not clear what happens, but like to to end this scene, the mom freaks out again or something. She has blood on her. It's not. I wasn't. I I didn't understand exactly what the situation was, but somehow or another, the mom's freaking out. Uh, it has to do with her grieving over the grandpa. Still, she's flipping her shit. Cops and ambulance get called again. Uh. And, you know, it's just another case of them showing, man, this family is so, you know, screwed up and, and awful. You know, it's, it's, you know, these, these people are such a, they're such a broken people, these hillbillies. Uh, back to the future, J.D.'s having trouble finding room for his mom, obviously, without the insurance. Right. But he does then, after pleading with the person, you know, the administrator, he finds a place, you know, he has to use, like, four credit cards to, like, pay the down payment on the rehab, you know, treatment center. Uh, but then the mom won't go. She's like, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go in there. We're not really given an exact reason of why she doesn't want to go, but she's adamant against it. Uh, Just, like, a general, like, she doesn't want help kind of thing? She doesn't want help. She doesn't want to be forced into it, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. This, this causes JD to get really mad, and he's going off at her about how manipulative and terrible of a mother she is and all this uh you know the sister the sister is like come on you we have to try to help her we can't just like give up on her and like jd's like no mom's always awful and grandma was always the one who was right and then the sister in in a very strange scene was like well grandma was grandma and grandpa weren't perfect either and then it shows how like grandpa was like a like you know like a drunk sometimes and would like come home and like beat the grandma Oh. But but then but then in that scene the grandma's like I swear to God if you come home drunk drunk again I'm gonna light you on fire and then the grandpa comes home drunk again and the grandma literally sets him on fire. Wait, there's a scene where she like it's like Christmas. There's the Christmas tree. It's set against like Christmas music so that it's yeah. all like atmospheric and like sure. unsettling. She literally like pours lighter fluid or gasoline on him and lights him on fire. And the mother and the mother has to like rush out of the closet and try to like put put out the fire uh, as a child, of course. Um, so the sisters like you know so you know we're all messed up. It's not just it's not like grandma and grandpa are perfect either. 
Uh, and it basically shows the sister is actually like trying her best to like forgive the mom and like help her. She doesn't want to. That's just, noble. The JD's there for less than a day. He's he's been there like five hours or something, and he's already like pissed off and wants to give up on mom. So, uh, you know, we cut to back in time where mom, trying to get better and recover, just randomly out of the blue comes home and is like, I got married. And they're all like, what? What What the fuck? And so she's apparently, she's married this like nerdy Asian guy who's like her boss at like the dialysis center she works at. Uh, And is like suddenly Uh. like, all right, JD, we are moving in with this guy that I just randomly married who has like a teenage son. Uh, and in, a, in another scene of JD being a huge narc loser, uh, the, the, the Japanese kid who is like his stepbrother now or whatever is like, uh-huh. takes him down to the basement and his dad and the dad is growing like weed. The just nerdy Japanese guy has like, or I guess, I don't know if he's Japanese. He could just, he could be Chinese. I'm not sure, but he's growing weed. And the, and the kid's like, yeah, my dad doesn't even notice when I take some, I know where he keeps like the stuff he's harvested. And JD's like, that's a gateway drug. We can't take that. That's bad. Oh my God! Was he a dare kid? He's he's such a little shit. Uh, no, was he wearing a dare T-shirt in that scene? <laughs> yeah, but uh, but uh, was this movie sponsored by any police departments? Yeah. Uh, eh. oh J- my God. Then in another scene, the mom comes home. He's like hanging out at the grandma's house, and the mom shows up and is like, "I need you to pee in this cup for my drug test." And JD's like, "You're never gonna learn." And the grandma comes home and is like you know, JD, you need to do it even though you don't want to. And he's like, the mom's never going to learn unless, unless she, unless she is like, you know, disciplined. He's a little shit that thinks you have to learn through like punitive measures. Through like struggle. Yes. He, he thinks you have to learn by being disciplined. Uh, but you know, he's still, you know, he, he ends up peeing in the cup, um, for his mom. Uh, let's see. This kind of leads into a small section of JD's down spiral, where he becomes like a, he he's he's rebelling. He's he's hanging out with this gang of like twelve year old kids who like go and like break into a factory that one of them got fired from. Not a factory, like a a garden supply warehouse. They sure. break a bunch of shit. You know, they're getting into trouble. Uh, all the all this kind of stuff. And that okay. that that section of them breaking into this warehouse is juxtaposed. Which, first off, then breaking into this warehouse where, you know, one kid got fired from because his boss was, like, an asshole. That's also cool. That's fun. Vandalism is cool and good, and you should do it. But that's that's juxtaposed with a scene of the mom goes back to her. This is in the future. So it's, like, the past and the future in this one kind of scene are, like, juxtaposed. The mom goes back to her, like, druggy boyfriend's apartment where he's, like, the landlord of, like, the top floor or something. And he, like, kicks the mom out and, like, throws her shit out the window and is like, get out of here, you whore bitch. You'll suck everyone's dick. Like, I hate you. Of course, Jesus. of course, they're saying they're, he's saying this about JD's mom. So JD gets pissed off and like barges in and tries to like break down the guy's door to kick his ass. But we're, then this mother in the hallway of this shitty apartment is like, "What are you doing? You're scaring my kids!" And it's supposed to be, "Oh man, JD trying to kick this asshole landlord, drug user, you know, drug dealer who's." called his mom a whore that it's such an awful thing he's scaring these children what what is he doing with his life and it's juxtaposing that yeah it was it was supposed to be like a sobering moment for this character when like what he was doing was like 
kind of arguably righteous like yeah well that that and then the stuff in the past with breaking into the warehouse they're both supposed right. to be like look how low he's sinking uh that's you know. not very low i yeah i don't know <laughs> all this delinquency with him as a kid ends up he decides he's not living it with his mom and the japanese dad or asian dad asian stepdad uh <laughs> that's my new sitcom coming to nbc asian, asian stepdad, stepdad. <laughs> uh so he decides he's going to go live with grandma instead. Uh, this leads to grandma being like, you can't hang out with those assholes anymore. If you want to hang out with them, you can't live here. And if it's you like, hang out with them again, I'll light you on fire. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> you know, um, so basically it's like grandma tough love type of a thing. She's gonna, I would love she's, to see an edit. I mean, I haven't even seen the original scene, but I would love to see an edit of the scene where she lights the grandpa on fire. But it's, like, in slow motion and, like, Awe Maria is playing. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> and he's just, like, flailing while on fire. like. That would be good. Okay, so, you know, now we're into third act. Grandma is kind of, he's been at his lowest, so to speak. Even though right, right. we're going to see some, some boxes. Yeah, something that's going to happen is going to be much lower and much more despicable than destroying a warehouse and getting mad at a shitty landlord asshole. Uh, but he's been, he's been, so to speak, in the hero's journey terms, he's been um, in the, uh, the dark night of the soul. And now he's on his up. Grandma's giving him tough love and trying to get him gotcha. whipped into shape. We cut back to modern time, and he's gone to his sister. He's gone into her job at a shoe store, and he's like, Mom can't live with, you know, what's his name? He kicked her out. And the sister's like, oh, I don't know what to do. Uh, take her to this motel that she stayed there before or something. And JD's like, oh man, maybe I should just stay and miss my interview. And the sister is like, this is also another quote. She says, "That's ju or, it's just the way it is in terms of saying, you know, JD, you should still go to your interview and leave your, leave mom in this shitty hotel. I'll check on her, but definitely don't stay with her. Go to your interview and leave our drug addicted mother in this hotel. Oh man! So back. To, There's a lot to unpack here. There, there is, and we'll get into it. There's back, back in time. JD needs a TI, you know, eighty nine or whatever for math class. Sure. So he goes to Radio Shack, and another moment of something being completely justifiable and fine and cool. Uh, TI calculators, especially the graphing ones, are ridiculously overpriced. Especially and they do it on purpose. And this was in the nineties, but even then, it was still overpriced. Uh, and they do it on purpose. He tries to steal. He tries to steal this calculator from Radio Shack whilst over the spe speaker. So basically, like the soundtrack to the scene of him stealing the calculator is the uh, I don't. What band is that? Like uh, tomorrow I'll be gone. You know that song where it's like say tomorrow, but till the break of dawn. Da, 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 da. Oh, I know that tomorrow, song. Tomorrow, yeah. it's that song. Okay. But you you know it. It's a '90s staple. Uh, yeah, yeah. But the fact that it's soundtrack to him stealing the calculator is really funny. So he gets in trouble. The grandma has to come bail him out from Radio Shack, and she's like here and like gives him the calculator because she bought she bought it for him, and is like you better you better fucking use that you little shit, <laughs> which uh, leads to um, the the bootstrapping montage. Oh no. Uh, well. Uh, we see in the future, JD gets to the hotel. He gets his mom to the hotel. Cut back, back in time. We get a whole montage, like I said. JD, JD pulling himself up by those bootstraps, which is oh, basically 
the theme is like, you know, it's up to you to like, you know, better yourself and get out of your position. You got to work hard because we see JD working jobs and saving up money. And, you know, he's helping his grandma. He's cleaning the dishes. You know, he's doing his homework. He's, oh, yeah. He's, he's clearly he's changing, you know, no he's more really, stealing from Radio Shack. He's really bootstrapping himself up. Uh, he's bootstrapping the hell out of himself. So that's kind of the end of like, you know, past of, of JD in the past. He's, he's bootstrapped himself up. He's an upstanding young kid who has, quote-unquote, overcome his circumstances by, by just working so hard after being inspired by, by a tough love grandma. Um, tough love grandma. And now here... Sounds like the worst, like, like you remember how memes used to just have, like... Oh, yeah. Names where it's, like, like uh, uh, what was it, like, success kid or, like, the philosoraptor. Absolutely. Tough love grandma. That's definitely one. I yeah, Tough to Love Grandma was definitely an image macro. Like right before, right before the grandma like tells him he can't hang out with his like shithead friends anymore. Like she lights him on fire. No, I wish that would be amazing <laughs> if it went full like crazy. Um, full tilt like a Peterbilt baby. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, before that though, like when she gets back to the house after getting groceries, he's like hanging out on the porch with his like shitty friends, and yeah. one of the kids like she's like, "What's your name?" and he says his name, and it's like a last name is like Polish, and she like she tells this kid she's like, "Last name sounds Polish, you know they're Polish, you know the Polish marry their dead with their asses up in the air so they can park their backs in them." <laughs> what the hell? Tough love, tough love, grandma fucks fucking hates polish people <laughs> apparently and apparently oh apparently God. in the book like his family is like more explicitly racist or something but it's like specifically cut out. against polish people no i think in general okay uh, they're I mean, in not general that, that makes it better but they're like, more Jesus. like overtly conservative in general in the book like it's specifically, but the movie was trying to paint them better i i guess so or something like they specifically were like anti like Apparently there was a lot of stuff in the book about like how his mom like hated Obama and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, that sounds okay, like the movie's but, just putting the liberal agenda in there. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So so now we are at the crux. This is the this is the scene everything's been building up to. JD goes to the vending machine because he's like, before I go, mom, before I leave you at this shithole hotel, so I can go back to fucking Yale because getting a getting a nice fancy law firm job is more important than uh than than caring for you uh do you want anything to eat and so he goes to the vending machine to get the things his mom asked he comes back mom's in the bathroom like trying to shoot up i guess heroin she had hidden in her things from the apartment uh you know jd stops uh, her jd stops her suit you know s- s- squirts it out into the sink or flushes it down the toilet that kind of thing sure uh he he sits her back down on the bed, the mom, the mom is 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 crying and begging him, please, JD, please stay with me. I need your help, please. I love you so much, you know. And 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 JD says, this is another verbatim quote. Oh no. I love you. I want you to get better. I want you to be happy, and I will do everything I can, but I can't stay. I'm not saving anyone here. He says something else, and I have to go. And he leaves. He leaves his mother, who OD'd a day prior, who he just walked in on trying to shoot up, who is now crying and begging for him to help her get clean, help her go cold turkey, and st- in the shithole hotel, motel, 
she's begging him to stay, and yet he leaves because he has to go to his shitty Yale job interview. Dude, fuck this guy. I know! This is supposed oh to be his God. scene. This is supposed to be his redemptive scene of, like, of overcoming... Somehow this is him being better? Yes. This is him overcoming the circumstances by saying, No, Mom, I'm not going to help you. I'm going to go... I'm going to go bootstrap myself up out of here. Yeah, fuck compassion, you know. Oh, this my God. Shit. This is... So that's kind of like... I'm, like, stunned. I... I'm i not exaggerating. That is literally how the scene plays out. Right. I believe you. You got no reason to lie so, to me on this. So he's like, you know, he he, he leaves, basically. He's driving right. in the oh car. His girlfriend... Okay. He calls his girlfriend. There's this whole subplot that I didn't go into about his girlfriend, and he's, like, ashamed of, like, telling her about his family and all that. They Bad relationship. Well, yeah. And, and he, like, blows up at her. He's like, my mom OD'd. Is that what you want to hear? And blah, 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 blah. He, he reconciles with her on the phone. They talk. He rushes to his interview. He gets there on time. And, and he, the, final, the final thing he says is something like, you know, my family made me who I am, but, like, you know, it's, it's like my family made me who I am, but, you know, like, I... I but I have to make me who I'm gonna be. Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. And, and, no. and, and cut to black. That's it. No, what? No. In the, in the credits, it says, like, stuff about them, and it's like, JD is successful and now has kids and lives in suburban fucking Ohio and is a shithead fucking middle manager, probably. Uh, I'll actually go into what he is now. Uh, is his mom alive? His mom is alive, but it explicit, it says, like... His mom now works as a as a as a like a you know a house cleaner and bookkeeper, and it's like his mom is still like sounds like not off well like financially. Like JD went to Yale Law School. Yes, right? and I'm about to get into what he actually did in real life and why the fact his the fact that it's ridiculous that his mom is still having to work. I hope she's not. I hope that was like, I don't know. I'll get into it. Another oh. thing, it's shot in Georgia, which is interesting. That's where I am right now. Oh, a lot of movies. It takes shot place in, in Ohio and Kentucky, but it was shot in Georgia. Fun fact. But yeah, the themes. What are the themes of this? It's that material conditions aren't the problem. Healthcare and the class divide and the drug crisis. Those aren't the cause. Those are just side problems. Those are symptoms. Those. Those. <laughs> nothing. Nothing is symptomatic. The problem is these people aren't working hard enough. They, they're unstable and they're, oh. they're weak. You gotta bootstrap oh. your way up out of poverty. Well, like, yeah, obviously, like, if you're poor, you just gotta not be poor anymore, you know, clearly. That's what JD does. He not, he bootstraps him way, his way out and being not, and being not he poor. Just, he just not be poor now. Hey, anyone He's listen. He's just not poor now. Anyone listen to this who is short, is short on cash, is in, is in the working class, is low, is lower, is, you know, poverty. Just stop being poor. Yeah, if you, you know, you okay. do the use the JD Vance method JD and just Vance stop being says, poor. JD Vance says, "Stop being poor. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> just quit. You know why are you being poor? Oh the, my God. I wanted to point this out. The there's a sub. You know, there's like a subheading of the book title. It's not okay. just hillbilly elegy. The sure, book, the memoir is. Wait, does it have a colon? Yes. Oh, I love a book title with a colon in it. It is hillbilly elegy. I think it is. Uh, hillbilly elegy a memoir of a culture in crisis now now when i first saw that i thought it meant like oh american culture capitalist culture you know classism our our healthcare system the drug oh, no. problem 
It's no, worse than that, isn't it? The culture in Crisis, based on how this movie plays at least, to me, it seems like the culture in Crisis they're talking about is hillbilly culture. Being lower class is the culture, and it is a crisis because these people do not know how to make themselves not poor. I mean, is that not what it reads as based on what I told you? It, like, comes off in, like, that weird, like, culture war way that, like, the right likes to talk about. Yeah. It's saying... And, like, it's like, it's like, oh, well, like, we need... Like, they're glorifying struggle. Yeah. It's like they're saying, like, the... It's like saying don't be, don't be lower class. That's the problem. If more people tried to not be lower class, everything would be better. Right, which is just absolute horse shit, as anyone can fucking tell. So, like, overall, this podcast, I wanted to say, like, this pod, you know, you know the dueling banjos scene in Deliverance, even if you haven't seen the movie? I'm aware of it, You know it, yeah. the scene where the guy yeah. pulls up, and it's this little, like, weird-ass-looking inbred kid playing a banjo? This whole movie has the nuance of that scene. This whole oh. movie has the nuance of deliverance where hillbillies are like these fucking like stupid borderline crazy like, like animals. nut job animals. I swear to god, the country bear jamboree at Disney World is a better is a better uh, <laughs> depiction of Appalachian southern uh, hillbilly redneck people oh. than this movie. It it like regularly blows my mind that um republicans or just like the right in general that like kind of like glorify like this culture like hillbilly culture whatever um failed to remember the fact that like redneck came from like that was a term representing like unionized coal workers mm-hmm. and like traditional like appalachian appalachian culture was like like they were anarchists who yeah. were like anti-cop and like pro direct action and community organization yeah even though they didn't call themselves that it's like that's to, what to it was. say to say that like these people are in crisis and need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps when like literally they wouldn't have agreed with anything you're saying is so hilarious to me and so telling yeah howdy folks welcome to the one and only original country bad jamboree Featuring a bit of Americana, our musical heritage of the past. But enough of this chit-chat, yak-yak, and flim-flying. Just refrain from hibernating. <laughs> and we'll all enjoy the show, because we've got a lot to give. Now, Austin, do you want to know about J.D. Vance? I do. In real yeah, life. You mentioned that he was a Marine, right? Yes. Is that? Oh. Okay. So... Uh, I titled this little subheading in my notes, quote, J.D. Vance is an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Seems fitting so far, from what I know. Uh, Now, yes, he served in Iraq. But not only did he serve in Iraq, he served in Iraq as in the Public Affairs Department. Which, do you know what that means, Austin? I don't have a great feeling about it. I don't know what it means, but it doesn't sound great. He was literally in the, the as as Wikipedia describes it specifically. Uh, it's a part. It's a department. Uh, is a or formal offices of the branches of the Department of Defense, whose purpose is to deal with the media and community issues, and media relations. So basically, 
J.D. Vance spent his time in Iraq, which he called, quote, a great experience, being a spent, spinning things. He, he spent his time in Iraq spinning things for propaganda, telling people how great it was that we were invading Iraq and how great yeah, it was that we were... the media... Convincing the that media, we weren't committing war crimes. Convincing the media and the public, we weren't committing war crimes. It was totally cool. We were there. We were there for freedom and to freedom. All these liberation. All these insurgents. Oh, they aren't the people fighting back against being invaded. They're they're you know outside terrorists they're causing terrorists, a terrorists. Yeah, from another country. They're so, ruining things for these good people that we're helping. So that's that's what uh, that's what he did in Iraq. He goes Very to cool. Yale. All of Very this. Very cute, quirky. Do you want to know what his job coming out of law school where he worked was? Oh, yes. J.D. worked at, a, he went to work at a venture capital firm. Oh. Specifically one owned by Peter Thiel, who is one of the co-founders of PayPal, as well as a venture capitalist and well-known conservative politic, conservative politics backer, financial backer, who was... Just a, He's a, a lobbyist. A shithead on many degrees. Oh. Uh, yeah. So he went to work at a venture capital firm, and according to Wikipedia, Vance, in 2020, Vance raised $93 million for uh, Nira Capital, which is, the, which is a company based sure. in Cincinnati, Ohio. If this is all the case, I hope to God his mother isn't fucking working anymore. I hope he's done everything he can for his poor mother. Yeah, like, obviously... You know that ninety-three million doesn't mean he made that much money, no, but, but like that's be, he's definitely doing well for he, himself. He definitely has enough money to help his mother live comfortably, or at least subsidize her income to a large degree. Yeah, uh, he went on from there, uh, and he hasn't ever done it, but he's considered a conservative, like Republican, like uh, running in politics, specifically for Ohio. Uh, for, for Congress and whatnot. He hasn't actually done it. He's also been a frequent guest on everyone's favorite Fox News show, uh, the Tuck, Tuck with Tuckle, Tucker, Tuckle Carlson. Tucklin Carlson? Tuckle Suckle Carlson. Good old, good old Tucker the Sucker Carlson, Carlson as they like to call him. But yeah, he's been a frequent guest. Tucker Carlson has one of the weakest chins I've ever seen on any person. Oh, oh, he's a he's a total he's a total beta he's a total beta. Just he's he's masking it all. He's trying to put up a front. He's 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 trying to trying to compensate. Beta, beta, beta. What a beta. Uh, so yeah, overall, JD Vance is an oh. asshole, conservative. He's a real jerk. He is he is the epit he is the he's the epitome of like the the bootstrap you know excuse of oh. of of against social you know and apparently okay so the the book hillbilly elegy was a huge bestseller because it it, it it both sold well to conservatives explaining like yeah these are our these are our republican you know these are our working these class, are our people this these, is what we want to happen these are our white working class people who voted for trump and hated obama because this book came out in 2017 right after Trump was elected. Oh, nice. uh, so it, conservatives loved it for that reason. And on the opposite side of the aisle, like super libs, like all your libs loved it because they were like, wow, look at this fascinating look at the mindset of these, of these savage uh, white hillbilly people and why they voted for Trump. They're so, they're so, you know, 
insane and depraved and savage. So different from us. It's basically, yeah, I mean, like, it, it's like human zoo type shit from the liberals of why they liked it. Oh, God. Thankfully, since... They it, are so guilty of that shit on so many different levels. Oh, like, I saw a tweet one time where, like, um, some, like, blue check Mark Lib was talking about black Twitter... Oh, they, the love, way, they love imitating oh, black Twitter. No, and the way she was talking about it was like she was talking about taking a fucking safari and, like, observe. She was, like, like it was literally, like, human zoo shit of, like, yeah. look at how different these people are. Yeah. It's beautiful. I'm, like, holy shit, you're like, literally, like, like. get out, like, get out shit. <laughs> yeah, no, straight up. And it's, like, you claim, like, you've got a fucking rainbow flag and the word BLM in your bio, but, like, you're racist. Yeah. Like. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, apparently the book it was a lot more, like, overtly, like, dealing with politics of, like, why these people, according to, why his family and these people hate Obama and why they voted for Trump. Obviously, they took all that out of the movie. They tried to make it more, you know, apolitical. But obviously, like I said, with how it <laughs> it's plays. It's an inherently political story. Absolutely. And that, my dear friend Austin, is Hillbilly Elegy. Um... I, I feel like I didn't talk that much because I was literally just stunned at this. Like, there's a lot that I just didn't know what to say. Yeah. No, uh, I agree. I had heard, li listen, I, I'll be honest. Okay, going into this podcast specifically, other podcasts out there that I listened to, I know back when this movie first released, they did episodes on it, but I had just not heard those episodes. And I had only, I hadn't actually read the full articles about the movie, taking it down. There's one on, like, uh, Vulture and one on or Variety, one of those. There's a couple sure. out there. They're like on the first page of Google when you search the movie title. Yeah. But yeah. I, I kind of avoided. I still haven't heard the podcast just because I wanted to avoid, you know, unintentionally like parroting stuff. I wanted to at least be able to claim, hey, if something overlapped, I haven't heard it. It's coincidence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, so going into this, all I'd heard, I'd seen a couple of like letterbox reviews that were just like short, like you know, kind of jokey things. Sure. And I had heard this, like, thing about how, oh, he, he, he leaves his mom to die because he wants to get to his, like, venture capital interview. And I was like, oh, that's obviously an exaggeration. No, it actually happens in the movie. That is literally the scene that happens. And it's, like, and he's, like, portrayed as, like, a hero for that. From it's what it it's like. supposed to be like a scene where, like, it's such a hard sacrifice, but he made the right choice. It's, like, a redemption arc. And he's literally leaving his, like horribly like drug addicted and mother you know, by the way that's the last of, scene we see of amy adams of, of the mother is her dude, crying if it in this didn't, hotel room if it didn't have the like recap at the end that yeah. heavily implies that she dies in that hotel oh absolutely if it did not have that text at the end with like the real life pictures of her uh yeah i mean it, it's dude, just as good i as feel bad for amy adams no that's the thing okay her and glenn close like they're doing that thing where non-southern you know actor people are doing their like you know are doing their southern accent oscar oh, no, winning it's role. never good it's, it's never, never good. good and it's never good. i don't blame them necessarily because it's the director's job to make sure they're doing a good performance and ron howard just doesn't yeah it's funny too because like people who aren't from the south are like can never tell that their southern accents are bad no i mean they're, they're like caricatures like i said <laughs> but like Anyone even remotely associated with the southern United States is acutely aware of any bad fake southern accent as soon as you hear it. It's yeah. like, wait a minute, they're you're not like, from here, are they're you? They're like the country bears level, like I said. Oh my god. So. And Br'er Rabbit. 
Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I, that's that's my four pages of extensive notes for you. Uh, do you have any any other thoughts? I'm not gonna watch this movie. Oh no, I wouldn't. That, <laughs> that's listen, my. Those listen, are my thoughts. I think. Take me watching it as a sacrifice, okay? No, I really like. I appreciate what you've done for our friendship and for this show. And I hope this. I hope what we recorded. I hope it's good. I hope so too. I've had fun. And I hope people listen to it. And I hope this podcast can continue so that we can, I can explain to you and we can do bits and have fun times with movies and shows that are good and have fun. Yeah. Or at least, if not good, like insane and fun to recap and like it's ridiculous and, you know, oh, all these crazy things happen. That's so crazy. haha. You know, that kind of thing. But yeah. I wanted to start out strong. I wanted to, I felt like. Come out I, swinging, you know. I wanted to get a movie out the gate. That shows not only who we are, but but what we stand for. What we stand for, if you know what I mean. So yeah, that's, yeah. That's uh uh that's uh Billy Bob goes to Yale. God, it's just some harmful stereotypes. Uh, you know the uh the the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia um was a less comedic look at the South than this is. Yeah, I, that's a that's a documentary, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, amazing. I, I love it. it. It's ridiculous and like it. it yeah, I really love that. But um, it's like a documentary, and I'm assuming it's fairly kind of fly on the wall, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not interfering or anything, but like, it, I don't know, man. It's just like the motives of this movie don't feel pure. No, it's it's absolute Oscar bait. It's you know what it is. It's 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 uh you know. I saw this in one of the articles I read. It was, I think, Vulture. It was an article from them about Hillbilly Elegy. And it described it as, uh, obviously, Parasite won last year at the Oscars. Right. And this is like, with Parasite's obviously all about class con- conflict and everything. This right. is the green book of class conflict. Like, <laughs> it, is, it is the movie that makes, that makes like, Hollywood libs feel good. Like, oh, I'm not them. You know, I voted for Obama. I, I'm not those crazy people. Literally the scene in Get Out where he's like, I would have voted for Obama for a third term if I could have. Yeah. <laughs> it's that oh based God. on a book written by a conservative. A war criminal. A war criminal spin venture man. Capitalist. Venture capitalist. Venture capitalist who believes, prob- I don't know this, but I'm assuming, believes Social Security should be cut and everyone should just have a tough love grandma to yell at them to get out of being poor. <laughs> Why do I feel like he's personal friends with Mike Lindell? They probably met. If not, they probably follow each other on Twitter or did oh, when God. Mike like, Lindell like... had a Twitter. Uh. <laughs> I mean, l- l- go and look up a picture of him. He is he is very much the like big boy, like uh, conservative, like like uh, uh, you know, like suburban oh. dad. <laughs> what a fucking milk toast piece of shit! Yeah, I know, like, right? Like, oh my god, like. God, he looks like Tucker Carlson. He's like, he's like, he's like a, he's like a little like Tucker Carlson baby boy. Um, he's one of those guys that's probably looked like in his forties since his twenties. I mean, he definitely looks like someone that would 
call weed a gateway drug. Oh, absolutely. Like, he, uh, he, um, he looks like he went to the barber and was just like, uh, yeah, I'm an extra in a show on the CW. Make me not stand out. <laughs> like, I just need something that's just going to look like every other white person on the CW. Absolutely. Oh, my God. He goes, I'm a teacher on Riverdale. <laughs> oh, fuck that guy. He, he, he claims he, claims he, he can't be anti-Semitic because he's friends with Ben Shapiro, probably. <laughs> he's that type of guy. You think he fucks Ben Shapiro's wife? Mm. While Ben Shapiro's handcuffed? Maybe. He, his wife, his, the girlfriend in the movie and his wife now in real life, she's like, um, like, Indi- like an Indian woman. Uh-huh. Uh, so he probably claims he can't be racist because right, he's an Indian woman. Like how uh, Mitch McConnell has, has an Asian wife or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Also, his wife went to work for someone like, oh yeah, his wife, uh, where, where is it? It's got to be in here somewhere. Uh, shit, where is it? Um... Yes, he, wait, where is it? His wife, like, um, interned at the, at, at, in, like, uh, yeah, here we go. His wife, whose name is Usha, she was a law clerk to uh, conservative Supreme Court judge, uh, Justice uh, John Roberts. Oh. And also, before he was on the Supreme Court, when he was just a judge, she was also, can you guess who she was a law clerk for, Austin? Um... What's his name? The, the I like beer. Yeah, Brett Kavanaugh. That guy. She locked for Brett Kavanaugh. Jesus. So I doubt she's much better than him. Also, uh, yeah. fun note, in 2019, Vance converted to Catholicism, I guess from Protestantism. So he says, quote, it became persuaded over time that Catholicism was true and described Catholic the described Catholic doctrines influence on his political views. It's probably because he 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 wants he 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 likes those young boys, Austin. Yeah, man. I'm just parody joke. This is not uh this is not uh uh, uh slander. Yeah, no, it's all it's all jokes. It's all jokes. Everything um, we've said. This movie doesn't even exist. It's but it's a bit we made up. Yeah, we've been joking like what? Dude, there's no oh. movie. Look it up on Netflix. It's not fucking there. It's not there. This is a bit. Find... <laughs> Who's Ron Howard? Who? Ron Howard, the actor? He doesn't make movies. <laughs> what are you talking about? Ron Howard, the fashion designer. Tom, Tom, Tom Ford. What? Ron Howard. Tom Ford and Ron Howard are actually one person. Yeah, he puts on a mask like Scooby Doo. Yeah. Oh my God, this is. What a career! You go from working on Andy Griffith's show to being a fashion designer. Yeah, that's a pretty, that's a pretty successful honestly, career. Honestly, I'd like to say. if I'm speaking frankly, the Andy Griffith show is a more nuanced look at like rural life than this movie oh absolutely it's not like a harmful stereotype that's portraying people as dumb yeah so man what a movie well you know i guess what a thank you for telling me about this movie so i don't have to watch it you're welcome and to everyone listening please don't feel the need to watch it either (sighs) use my suffering as as please take advantage of it and and don't watch it so, uh, do we have social media established for this podcast? Oh, yeah, let's, uh, well, yes, we will. Uh, I'm sure 
there. <laughs> I didn't think about this ahead of time. Follow E2A Podcast on Twitter. That's capital E, the number two, capital A, and podcast with a capital P on Twitter. E2A Podcast. Uh, but then also our personals, if you want to follow us on places, I'm at Peyto, that's Peyton, but with the out the end, P-E-Y-T-O, B-R-O-C-K, Brock, Peyto, Brock, everywhere. And I am um, on Twitter at uh, Austin out of 10, and that's Austin with out of 10 on the end. Very clever. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, uh, you can follow me there cool. if you want. I don't know why you would, but. Well, this was our inaugural episode we, I, I suffered. We, uh, we, we've started our journey. We've started it off hard, so hopefully from here. It, it only gets better from here, hopefully. Uh, you know, I'll be honest. I'm surprised it took me until I was 23 to be in a podcast. So am I. I'm not 23. I'm 21, but... Well, you know. I beat you to it. You beat me to it. You did it before me. Tune in next week where we'll be talking about Birth of a Nation. Oh no! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't know what you were gonna say, and that's one of the worst ones you could have said. I just shot from the hip. No, uh, I don't know when the next episode's gonna be, but it's gonna be something way more enjoyable for me to watch, and way more enjoyable and less anger-inducing to recount to Austin. I can't wait. This can't is wait this is either. gonna be a good time. Let's just record it right now. We're doing. It's let's the, go right into it. Let's watch it live. Let's. We're doing a live watch along. It's the new Tom and Jerry live action movie that was just released, uh, starring Tom and Jerry and Chloe Grace Moretz. Uh, Twenty twenty one. It's got a two point one out of five on Letterbox. And oh. the uh, our review What's the Metacritic says, score? The our review says, "Damn, this is the first one in a long time," and he gives it an F. Yikes! Someone said. Watched it quickly, thankfully. <laughs> thankfully. How do you watch it quickly? He fast-forwarded it. No, set it on 2x two, two and two just X. let it go? I, honestly, I should have done this with Billy Bob Ding Dong time, whatever this movie's called. Bootstrap extravaganza. Uh, Hill Bob Goes to College? Is that what it was? Yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us, folks. I'm Peyton. I'm Austin. And we'll... Catch you on the next time of the show and Welcome to Hee Haw, starring Buck Owens and Roy Clark. <laughs>